I would say my content definitely started off in the world of lifestyle trends, things that were just going to go viral on, on social media, and then transitioning towards what do I actually want to try that's good for me and healthy for me, and how can I actually influence people in a positive way instead of just picking videos that I think are going to go viral because they're so wacky and weird. Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Endorphins. As someone who is very interested in health and wellness, clearly through the production of this podcast, I'm also a yoga instructor, I did rowing in high school, like my life has always very much been health and wellness oriented. I'm always looking for new trends to try or practices to adopt in my day-to-day life, which is why I've been obsessed with the YouTube series called Try Living with Lucy since probably high school. I think that's when they started to come out, like when I was in high school. So I've been watching them for a while now. And this was a series of videos on Refinery29's YouTube channel where Lucy Fink, who is a content creator and video producer, would try and challenge herself to adopt a new habit for five days. And then she would report on how that habit had impacted her quality of life and anything interesting she learned from it. So she is obsessed with pizza and she did a challenge where she would only eat pizza for five days, like for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So she would talk about like all the creative ways she would have pizza essentially for three meals throughout the day. Or she would talk about five days of meditating or five days of hot yoga. And it was always really fun and entertaining for me to watch. And I felt like I was definitely entertained by it because Lucy has such an amazing presence on camera. But I also felt like I was learning something valuable. Like, okay, what is five days of meditation actually going to do for you? Like, how is that actually going to impact how you feel the rest of the day, how you feel by the end of the week. So it was always really something I gravitated towards and clearly have been kind of obsessed with ever since I started watching and have followed along Lucy's career trajectory at Refinery and now going off on her own, pursuing her own content creation. It's just been so exciting to kind of see where she's landed. And I've always wanted the opportunity to actually get to speak with Lucy about her inspiration for starting the series. So I am thrilled to share that this week I had the chance to sit down with Lucy and talk all about how she got started with the Try Living with Lucy series, what types of lifestyle habits she's continued to incorporate in her life that boost her well-being and bring her some sense of endorphins, and how her life has now changed as a new mom. It was absolutely a pleasure to get to have her on the show. I am really excited for you guys to hear this interview. But before we get into it, I have a brief message from my sponsor, Anchor. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, Lucy. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Hi, Stella. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. 
almost, I guess, two years later now, we've reconnected. And, you know, when we first had the the chance to speak and do an interview with the Power Thread back in like 2020, 2021, I was so thrilled to get to talk to you because you were a content creator that I had been following at the time for so long, like since high school. And I really started out with the videos you were producing for Refinery29 on Try Living with Lucy. Like that was my first taste of everything that you were doing and I fell in love with it. And so it's just such an honor to get to be sitting here virtually with you and to have you on my podcast. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. You're an OG follower. (laughs) Yes, I like to think so. And, you know, I'd love to start basically there, you know, at the inception of when you were working at Refinery29 and producing that Try Living with Lucy segment. So can you tell my listeners a little bit about what you were doing at Refinery29 and what that segment looked like and then kind of how your career evolved (laughs) from that moment in time? So I started working at Refinery29 in 2015 That was one year after I graduated college, and for that first year out of college, I was working at an advertising agency, and I actually met a woman at the advertising agency who ended up becoming the COO of Refinery29, which is how I ended up getting there through networking and meeting her, and when I started at Refinery in 2015, it was the very start of their video division, so they had made some video content before, but never really dedicated YouTube series. They didn't have any faces that were recognizable on the platform. And I kind of showed up and showed them the video content that I had produced in my college years and some clips on live television that I had the opportunity to do in college. And I sort of just told them, you know, I'd love to produce and host a YouTube series for you. Actually, to correct myself, I didn't say YouTube because I I had no interest in YouTube and I had no, I personally was not a YouTube viewer. So I didn't think YouTube was really anything great at the time. I I kind of preferred to be on Facebook Live, which is kind of laughable now. And I preferred to be on Refinery's website. I just thought YouTube was like the throwaway content, which is pretty comical given that now it's like the number one video platform and it's been the longest lasting and has brought the most revenue to my career. So pretty funny, but I kind of was thrown onto YouTube. They gave me the free reign to pick a series that I wanted to produce and to host it and very little direction and very little handholding and very little red tape in terms of like what I could do and who I was reporting to. And I pitched a handful of series to them and we sort of mutually agreed on the five day challenge format. And we called it try living with Lucy where I was trying five day lifestyle challenges every single week. And a new video went up on YouTube every Friday for about four years, five years almost. And I tried everything from, you know, anything that was being talked about in the social media sphere or online or in magazines, everything from, you know, health trends, like, cupping and acupuncture and cryotherapy to all the food trends, veganism, paleo diet, uh, juicing, and then weird lifestyle trends like sleeping on the floor and um, (laughs) wearing the same outfit every day, not washing my hair for two weeks. And I basically just challenged myself to experiment and explore and at the same time was documenting it all kind of vlog style and sharing it almost like 
I think I called it like edutainment content. So it was educational and I was hoping entertaining as well. And I was just trying to show people what life was like when you try new things all the time. I think I was so drawn to that series because it was so, like you said, educational and entertaining to watch you be a guinea pig and try out all these different experiments and test out what worked for you, what you liked about it, what you didn't like. And the videos were like super extensive on kind of like recapping your experience. And I really, I recall you kind of getting into like the details as to what worked for you and what didn't. And if you were to do it again, maybe what you would have done differently. And something that I really liked in particular just about the format of the series was how you were constantly trying something different and you kept a very open mind to the different trends that you were you were going to try out and so like across those four years were there any particular wellness trends that really stood out to you and anything that you've tried to incorporate now into your day-to-day life I think the wellness side of things was really the big kicker for me, I guess, because when I entered Refinery29, I was one person in the sense of my health and wellness outlook and just how I live my life. Just to kind of backpedal a little, I was not really raised in like that much of a health conscious way. My parents always emphasized that we had to have a healthy family dinner every night. So dinner was one meal of the day where I did eat pretty well in terms of, you know, nourishing my body. And we always had like a nice sit down family meal, but every other meal and snack and thing I put in my body throughout the day, throughout my whole childhood, I can say with confidence was total crap. (laughs) Absolute crap. If I were just to walk (laughs) you through like a standard day, it was like cereal and eggos and juice for breakfast, followed by a grilled cheese sandwich at lunch and pizza with fries and a Snapple and a chip witch. Then I would come home from school and have a roll of Oreos and sour straws. And then I'd have my one healthy dinner followed by ice cream with snow caps and gummy bears on it. So it was like a crazy, crappy food situation. And I I think because I have a naturally very slim build, I never gained weight from the food I was eating. And I never noticed any physical changes that were happening in terms of my health either. And I never felt sluggish or lethargic. So I I just am kind of, you know, I was always like, what's the point of not eating this stuff? It's not doing anything to me. My refinery 29 years, that whole span of time there, like so much happened in my health and life that woke me up to the fact that I needed to be a little bit more cautious of what I was putting in my body and on my body And throughout, you know, just to make like a whole long story short, throughout my time at Refinery29, I discovered that I had gallstones and I had to get my gallbladder removed. A year later, I wound up being diagnosed with celiac disease. And basically just throughout the whole, my whole time there, my, I would say my content definitely started off in the world of like lifestyle trends, things that were just going to go viral on, on social media And then transitioning towards what do I actually want to try that's good for me and healthy for me? And how can I actually influence people in a positive way instead of just picking videos that I think are going to go viral because they're so wacky and weird? Um, You know, the the earliest videos were really those 
lifestyle trends like being on a $50 budget or um, I even wanted, we never did this video, but I even wanted to do like five days of not wearing shoes all around New York City, like things that were just mind blowing. (laughs) I feel like (laughs) that would have been so dangerous. Like you don't know what you're going to step on if you're not wearing any shoes. Refinery was like, we not let you do that. So they were more in that world though. And then they started transitioning towards five days of Ayurveda where I was learning how to tongue scrape and, you know, the natural remedies. And I was getting into the acupuncture and cupping and just learning so much and throughout and the meditation, yoga, all that sort of emerged as I was exploring these different trends. And those wellnessy aspects of the things I was trying really ended up sticking and becoming a major part of my life and then my future platforms. You make a really good point around kind of how your relationship with food has evolved based off the different health trends that you were trying because I think a lot of people eat just to see how the food that we consume affects our physical body and whether or not you're gaining weight from from what you're eating you know, you start to kind of realize that what you put into your body affects way more than just like your physical appearance. And so in your perspective and in in your experience, you know, you have a naturally very slim figure. And so maybe like the sugary foods that you were eating growing up and up until that point at refinery, like never really affected you physically. But did you ever feel any sort of, you know, effect from not properly fueling your body in a more you know, effect on like your mental health or just ever, you know, seeing that relationship between what you consume and how it actually affects your energy levels. And, you know, when you're dealing with external stress and, you know, I'm assuming that the time you were at refinery, you were in your early to mid twenties, maybe late twenties. And in that time period, there's a lot of transition and change happening. So it's very multifaceted and there's a lot going on. And so I can imagine that, you know, maybe like our diet at that point in our lives, will start to affect us just beyond the physicality of our bodies and into, you know, penetrate into every sphere of our life. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say, I never noticed it affecting me mentally. And I think if it was affecting me mentally, I probably would have made a shift way sooner. And, you know, same thing with the physical nature. If, if I lived in a body that like society deemed to be the type of body that needed to quote, watch what I eat, I absolutely would have had the effects of what I was eating immediately seen and I would have moved on and changed it. And same thing with how I felt. Like if I had emotionally felt brain fog or depression or any of that, like I would have switched it. But I, if I'm being honest, I I don't even think I feel a, I don't even think I feel like a mental difference from having changed my diet. I think it's more so not the food, but the other lifestyle elements, the things like, you know, establishing a positive, happy morning routine and getting into meditation and doing yoga. And it's it's more of the physical things that I was doing that really just bring so much joy and like peace to my day and make me feel very much like a put together adult and help my productivity in my career. They help my home feel like a clean, happy, positive space. And that has made a difference because I really used to, in addition to having like a crappy diet, I also used to be like a very messy person. Growing up, I was always the twin who was like never 
folded clothes. I would just like shove everything into my closet and my room always had stuff thrown all over the floor. And as an adult now, it's like when people come to my house, it's everything is organized and my shelves are all styled. And I, I've just, I feel like it's my whole ethos of my personality has shifted from these wellness lifestyle, like this minimalist approach to life, which by the way, I'm not a minimalist. I have way too much crap around my home to be considered a minimalist, but I do love the minimalist aesthetic and the whole concept of minimalism. And so I try to live like emotionally as a minimalist. Yeah, no, I feel that it's, it's so much easier said than done. Like it's so hard to practice that. Like, I don't think I fully ever watched the Marie Kondo stuff, but when I think about it, I'm like, oh, that's really nice. Like I wish I could get my life together like that. And I know you've produced some content around like Marie condoing up maybe your apartment or just organizing things. And it's so pleasing to watch because then I think, oh my God, like I need to do this and I want to do this. I felt the same way after watching like the bullet journaling video. Yes. That I think was really awesome because it was, you know, the way that you created this bullet journal, like was so extensive and so organized and so detailed. And I think for me personally, like I really like to journal and just write out like my to-do lists and everything. And it was so nice to kind of see a video where you had taken it to the next level and laid out this really organized, like detailed format for bullet journaling or just writing down something a day that you wanted to get done or five things that you were looking forward to in the day, just having it in a more structured manner, I think was really pleasing to watch and also must have taken a lot of time on your end to like color coordinate everything, put everything together and (laughs) actually like use it every day. And, you know, one thing to go back to your question about, you know, if it affected me mentally, I think there were other physical things that I did feel changed aside, you know, taking the whole body, the look of someone's body out of it physically, the way I felt is what was probably the biggest change because specifically with the, you know, the gallstones and then the the celiac disease, I was having migraines every single day from eating gluten that I didn't even know for like a good few months of my life. I had a migraine pretty much every day. And also to get really personal here, (laughs) I was also having diarrhea every single morning after my coffee, and I thought it was just like the body's normal thing to do. And I had a couple friends that also like had diarrhea every morning, and we would all like talk about it like it was like, oh, just having our morning poop. This is so normal. (laughs) And then after I cut out gluten and I made – it took probably about two to three weeks before I noticed the effects, but like genuinely since that day – which was in the very beginning of 2021, I have had diarrhea one time and it was when I accidentally ate ramen from a C-rated restaurant. (laughs) And I didn't realize realize it was C-rated. So I got some sort of food poisoning. Aside from that, I just, my, my whole, you can tell that like my whole digestive system changed. And, you know, I'll be honest, it didn't manifest in like, clearer skin or a slimmer figure or anything like that for me. But it was just the way that my like insides felt definitely lit up after cleaning up the diet in that way. Right. And if I feel like digestion is so important because if you're not digesting your food properly, you're not actually getting the right nutrients out of it. And like I always 
don't feel good in my body and in myself when I'm not digesting my food properly. Like I just feel not as confident and I feel like I'm not fitting into my clothes as well as I want to if I feel like something's going wrong, like inside my stomach. And so I think like, you know, that's super important. And also recognizing that people have different food intolerances. And I think, you know, we kind of just mindlessly consume and don't really recognize maybe that we may be intolerant to certain things. There's a lot of value to kind of being more mindful with what we consume, how we consume it, and recognizing that, you know, sometimes it's good to eliminate at a time certain things in our diet to kind of test out and see, is this specific food group affecting me or is it a different one? So trying to take out those variables and then kind of get to the root cause of like what might be causing some digestive issues or, you know, what might be causing changes in my complexion or the way I feel about myself from like a food standpoint. Definitely. And I just feel so much, I just feel internally like, I guess, now to change my answer to your mental question, like mentally, I feel a sense of happiness, like knowing that I am doing something good for my body. And to clarify on this podcast, I don't only eat healthy food. If people follow me on Instagram, they see I I bake cookies every single night and I have gelato and I definitely like, I love dessert. That said, I would say that my, because I'm gluten-free, so many really crappy desserts and snacks are just off the table for me. So I do often have to figure out creative ways to make healthier, quote, versions of things that I love. So even though I do have something sweet, you know, multiple times a day and also every night I'm big on dessert, it's usually not the really like worst thing for you that I'm eating. It's like a, like gluten-free cookies or um, I don't know. I don't think ice cream is that bad for you. So it's usually, I I still love my dessert. I think it's mostly the food throughout the day. I'm really big on cooking and I'm pretty big on no matter what I'm eating, trying to make sure I'm getting a nice round diet of vegetables and like healthy fats and fibers and proteins and just different things in a meal where like I don't, I basically don't eat any fast food or I just don't have a lot of like packaged junk, but that's mostly because it's not safe for me being celiac. And I do feel like a sense of I'm doing something good for my body with my generally healthy way of eating. And especially in the transition into motherhood, I remember like when I was in the trying to conceive stage, I just kind of felt like every good nutrient I put in my body was only going to be helpful at actually getting pregnant. And then throughout the pregnancy, I definitely felt a sense of, you know, what I'm eating is what he's eating. So I want to make sure that we're both getting well-nourished. And now throughout my breastfeeding journey, it's the same. I, I genuinely feel like everything I eat is like, I think of it as like, it gets blended up and it's going into him <laughs> in the form of my breast milk and, you know, whether or not he's actually getting all of that. I now feel a sense of, it just brings me like a sense of overall positivity and joy to know that I'm doing something good for myself and my son. Yeah, exactly. And now, of course, there's this different element to it because you are a mom and now you have Milo and you have another being to think about and you're nourishing him as well as alongside nourishing your own body. So of course, there's 
there's different layers to that. And I think that probably has also maybe like deepened your perspective on what you consume and, you know, what health means to you. But moving aside from food in particular, you'd mentioned earlier that the wellness practices and the lifestyle practices in particular were the ones that kind of made um, more of a lasting impact uh, on, you know, how you define health and wellness and what's brought you happiness in your life. And something that I'm curious to hear more about is how you've managed to maintain those practices after like completing the two week challenge or the one week challenge. Because for example, like I love meditation and the last summer I went to Bali to get my yoga certification and it was the best experience of my life. And I was practicing yoga from seven to nine every morning. And it, it was a yoga practice with some sort of like breath work or like 40 minute meditation. And I was doing it consistently every day for a month. And once you kind of like get into that flow, you crave it and you want to keep doing it. But something that I found really difficult now is keeping that up, just keeping up the habit. And so I wanted to hear from you, like, how have you managed to keep up habits that you've actually enjoyed trying out in those series back in the days of Refinery29? And if you haven't been able to keep them up, then, you know, what are other things that you're trying to do to incorporate, like, or slowly incorporate those lifestyle changes in your day-to-day life? Great question. And that Bali trip sounds incredible. That sounds lovely right now. I have not traveled in so long. Um, I think, you know, the early days when I was doing these lifestyle challenges, the things that really stuck out to me were, as I mentioned before, the things like the yoga and the meditation and the Ayurvedic rituals. And there were a lot of things that as a mid 20 year old woman who did not have a kid yet and uh, wasn't married yet and was just like bopping around New York City, there were a lot of things that I felt, oh, and also pre-pandemic life, a lot of things I felt like were, were very attainable and, you know, easy for me to do. So I added in, you know, I used to go to do, to a yoga studio four to five times a week with my sister. We lived really close to each other and we had a, a studio in New York that we loved that's now closed. And we used to go all the time. I also was in a pretty good rhythm with meditation at various points where I had different trackers and I would... I would meditate every day for a whole month and then maybe I'd fall off for a week, but I'd get back on. And I just, I I do think bullet journaling was really helpful because once I built this whole habit tracker, I was really inspired to do the habits so that I could fill it out and make it look pretty by the end of the month. And so I, there were various habits like the waking up early and not looking at my phone in the morning and drinking water with lemon, which who knows if that's a thing that is important, but things that just made me feel happy to do. And I would try, you know, to scale back caffeine. So I would be like, let me put a line item on for a day that I had a a herbal tea instead of coffee. And basically just built these trackers and habits that I wanted to achieve. And I, I would always say that like my success with these habits has been a roller coaster. Like there, I'm definitely not just dedicated to doing them all, all the time and just stick to them with ease. It's, it's been like one week I'm really good at it. And one week I'm not, which I think is probably more classic of people that like really want to get into these habits, but they keep falling off the bandwagon with it. That's definitely how it's worked for me. And then once the pandemic hit, 
and I was, you know, that was like the end of the yoga studio days. And for a little while I had, I had this yoga teacher that I had done some videos with in person. And so I started doing some zoom yoga sessions with her. And throughout the pandemic, I did that twice a week uh, from home and I was trying to meditate because I knew that was important, especially with the state of the world and like everyone's mental health going awry. And I was trying to meditate, but I definitely wasn't on any sort of dedicated schedule. And now being a new mom, it's like, I'm definitely, I would say right now, I'm definitely at a low point in terms of like a downward dip of sticking to those habits. But that's, I'm not saying that even in a negative way though, because it's like just a different season of my life right now where the most important thing for me is not to like make sure I'm meditating every day or, or exercising every day. Yet I know that at some point in this journey, like in the next few months, I know there's going to be a point again when I get incredibly inspired to get back to doing yoga regularly or to get back to meditating every day. And I just kind of live in a way that gives myself the flexibility and the freedom to like wait until that point comes and then do it <laughs> instead of just forcing it when it's not the right time. Because I, I, if I look back at my past, I can see it's always come and gone in waves. And so if it's not here right now, I'm not like nervous that I'm never going to get my drive back. That's a really great point because I think we, we look to habits to be as that, that stable and consistent practice that we can keep very consistent while other changes occur in our lives. But I think it's also important to give ourselves the grace and flexibility with habits kind of waxing and waning and coming in and out as we hit different transitions in our lives. Like in your case right now, you're a new mom. And so like you mentioned, the most important thing isn't finding that five minutes a day to meditate. Like you have these other priorities and your your child is coming first. And so I think that it's just a really great point that you bring up because you know, in like maybe your early 20s when you're transitioning out of college and you're coming into the working world, like your environment is completely different. Maybe you're in a different city, you're around different people, you're doing something different in your day-to-day job and you're not a student anymore. And so because so many external factors have shifted, it's, it's okay to not necessarily you know, have that same regimented structure and routine that you had adopted maybe while in college or when you were younger. And I think, you know, we tend to be so hard on ourselves with not meeting our own expectations of doing the things that we know are good for ourselves. On the note of the meditation, 100%, I think the the tip I am, I would give people is to just let yourself be real, really like where you are in that moment, not where you think you need to be based on that moment. And the example I'll give is I remember pre getting pregnant, I I said to myself, when I finally when I get pregnant, and when I like know that I have a baby inside, I'm going to meditate every day, because that's the time in my life when I need to be the most grounded and centered and calm. And I want to I just envisioned myself as this pregnant woman (laughs) meditating daily. Then I became pregnant. And I honestly don't think I meditated once in my pregnancy. And I remember like talking to a couple of friends who were asking like, you know, how are you? How are you doing mentally? And I was like, I genuinely feel the least in my head that I've ever felt in my whole life right now. Like there have been so pre-pregnancy, there were so many times in my life when I 
felt like I needed to meditate. Like I really felt like I needed a moment of silence. And I, every time I would go do something that was like silent related, like just for example, every time I would like be getting my nails done, for example, where I like can't be on my phone and I'm just kind of sitting thinking my head, my thoughts would race. And I would think about a million business ideas and the meaning of life and like, what are we doing here? And then post getting pregnant, it was like the, I remember it was, I went on a short trip with my husband's family and I got a prenatal massage and I was like lying on the table, not face down, but I was on my side. And it was the first time like my eyes were closed and I was just in my own head thinking, and it was just like peace and quiet. And I wasn't stressed or thinking about anything or trying to contemplate the purpose of anything. I was just enjoying the moment and genuinely didn't feel like I needed to meditate. And so I had to kind of get out of my head this vision I had of myself as this meditating pregnant woman, because when the moment actually came, that didn't feel essential or important at all. Right. And I think we use these practices as kind of like tools in our toolbox to use when we feel like we're in a time of stress or our mind is racing and our thoughts are going a mile a minute. And then we can say, oh, I can go to my meditation practice or I know that I have this yoga practice or I know that journaling in the morning is going to help me just brain dump and clear my head. And then those practices can feel really therapeutic because we see them actually affecting us. Whereas in the moments where you're actually kind of at peace and you don't really feel that need to meditate or to do your five minute journal, then you can recognize like, oh, like I actually don't have to put this pressure on myself to check all these boxes and do all these things that are quote unquote good for me when I already feel baseline relatively okay. That's kind of an empowering feeling. And the same thing goes for waking up early. I've actually heard a couple of people talking about it on a podcast recently, but I kind of forget what they were talking about. It was about how different people who are different archetypes have just different natural inclinations to either wake up early and perform really well in the morning or want to sleep a little later and how the people that naturally are inclined to sleep later for them to try to become a morning person, just because they like want this vision of I'm a morning person and I'm up with the sun and I'm doing my five minute journal and you know, whatever you see on these TikToks of like that girl (laughs) routines, yeah, like everyone trying to do that. It's just really not conducive to you being the best you. If you're trying to get into this habit and routine, just because you think it's what you should be doing when really there was no problem with you sleeping until 8.30 or 9. <laughs> exactly. And I think the wellness industry as a whole really does paint this picture of, to like what it looks like to achieve health. Like you mentioned with the, that wellness aesthetic on TikTok, like the that girl trend, although they are really pleasing to watch on TikTok and it's definitely a guilty pleasure of mine just scrolling through those videos. <laughs> it's like not really – attainable. And there are days where I do need the extra 30, 45 minutes of rest in the morning. And then there are days where I naturally wake up early and I I do feel more productive. And so I think, you know, you have to give yourself the flexibility to listen to what you need in the moment and kind of tune out all the noise on social media that is kind of telling you what you, you should be doing. Because when you have that resistance with trying to fit into someone else's routine, 
you're actually going to be less productive. And there's something actually called like chronotypes. I don't know if you've heard of it. Maybe it's what you're oh, referencing. Oh, is this like, like the, the whale and the... Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. It's like there's different animals. And the idea is that depending on like your chronotype or your profile, you're energized at different points in the day. So you should like schedule meetings at different times. And then you should have like your creative heads down work at different times in the day, depending on like when you're energized and, you know, when you're most creative. And I think that's so interesting because it shows that, you know, health can be very personalized and like the way that you choose to live your life and how you find meaning and purpose and productivity is really like a person by person basis. And I think that's super empowering because then you, I think you can feel more, equipped to actually take a hold of the day and get the things done that you want to do. Totally. I agree. And yes, it was chronotypes, not archetypes. <laughs> but it's similar because I think it's like the the archetype that you have is that chronotype. Yes. Uh, but it's really fascinating to think about that. And, you know, especially since now you're a, n- a new mom, like, do you, have you found that like your day-to-day routines and habits have shifted drastically from, you know, pregnancy or prior to being pregnant. Um, you know, how have you tried to just maintain your own understanding of, of health and wellness just yes. by having a totally different schedule? So a hundred percent, the whole routine, <laughs> the whole routine is different and it's just so much more all encompassing than I could have imagined or than I thought. I I didn't really know anyone, you know, no one in my family has had a kid. Michael and I are the first on both sides to have a baby. And I didn't grow up with a lot of babies around me. Like my mom's an only child and my dad's brothers were all way old, like their kids were way older. So totally did not understand the baby thing. <laughs> all I knew of babies was when I knew someone that had a baby, I would go over and spend an hour with them. And I would think that was the best hour of my day. How lucky that they get that hour 24 seven. And you know, the things you don't realize, it's just the, the very cyclical nature of the day with a baby, especially if you like, like Michael and I do, which is have a very rigid schedule of feeding and like when it's his wake window and then what time we're going to put him down for a nap and then the whole cycle starts over again until the end of the day. And pretty much the whole day, like on a day when we don't have our nanny here, which we we hired a nanny for three days of the work week. And so the other two days are days that I'm basically on duty because Michael is back at work now after his three-month paternity leave, which was amazing because that was a, a nice long time for him. But on those days, it really is like, the only, the absolute only time that I could have time to do something for myself would be while he's down for a nap, which he's currently not in a very good nap rhythm yet. He's doing really well at night and he's sleeping through the night, which has like changed our lives in terms of us getting sleep. But during the day he's napping for like 20 minutes and then needs soothing. And then we'll maybe nap for another 10. And he really only will take a good nap if he's in a stroller and I'm wheeling him around. So I can't like put him in his room in the crib and then go do anything in the apartment for longer than 30 minutes max. And the other times that I'm like, quote, relieved from 
being with him is in the morning. Michael does the morning feed so I can sleep in a little bit, but I still have to wake up and pump (laughs) to get, so I'm not super like engorged during that time. And then at night after, after Michael's done with work, like he'll come out of the office and he'll be able to take over so I can either do something for myself or often the thing I choose to do is cook because I've really get inspired to cook and I'm, I'm usually like creating content while I'm cooking. So it's like the bookends of the day I would have help, but then like the whole rest of the day is just a schedule doing what the baby needs, whether it's playing with him, feeding him, changing, burping, or attending to him while he's trying to nap and struggling. So it really is just an endless cycle. Um, But what I will say is during the three-month maternity leave that Michael and I took together, I did – I was pleasantly surprised at how with with a partner who is on leave with you, or I guess it doesn't need to be a partner on leave. I guess for someone else it could also be, you know, with family nearby that's really supportive. But if you have other people that are with you and the baby and you're not the sole caretaker – It really is, like, I really was pleasantly surprised at how much time I still was able to have to myself. Contrary to what I had been told by society, like, you're never going to sleep again or, you know, you're not going to have time to do anything because you're just going to be doing dishes all day. You won't even have time to take a shower. Like, that was a big one that I was nervous I wouldn't get to shower and actually postpartum, like having such a helpful husband who was there and available and present, like we would really alternate with giving each other time to do things. So like one of us would be attending to the baby while the other person was able to do things like take a long shower or go take a walk or go see a friend or do, you know, do their own things. And I think we just really like balanced it out nicely to the point where postpartum, I actually started taking two showers a day, whereas I only showered once a day before. <laughs> now I was now I was able to take two showers a day, which I felt like I was very sweaty postpartum. Plus with the breastfeeding, I just felt like I needed to shower in the morning and night. And I was able to find the time to do that. And I also feel like I kicked up my cooking game postpartum and like found the abil- found the time to be able to cook like intricate meals because I had the support of a partner who was able to be watching the baby while I did that. And that was very much like, obviously I was cooking for him too, but I'm like doing something for me. That's like a very positive thing for my mental health to be in the kitchen and cook. And so I was, I was surprised that if you do have adequate support and if you, you know, ask for help and have help around you, it, it doesn't need to be as daunting as sometimes people make it out to be. Yeah, it sounds like you're thriving postpartum, which is amazing. And it's really nice that you do have that support from Michael and from your family and from your friends. Just, you know, having the ability to take time for yourself, I feel like is so crucial when you're entering motherhood. And now I know you recently transitioned back into working. How has that been with, you know, being a mom and, you know, having Milo around and just navigating the transition now into like re-entering the working world. Yeah. Well, to backtrack on the, you know, prior to working, we realized that we were going to need to hire a nanny. And so, you know, I want to point out we did, which 
maybe a caveat for my previous statement too, we did also for the first month postpartum, we had a baby nurse who was living with us 24 seven. And then after that month, we were on our own for two months until we went back to work. And then we hired this nanny three days a week. So first thing I'd want to call out on this is like acknowledging the privilege of being able to hire help to be here. And, you know, I know not everyone has that financial flexibility. I know that without the, without paying for it, a lot of people do rely on parents and family to do that. And I actually have a Q&A highlight on my Instagram. If anyone's curious about the whole baby nurse situation, I did a whole Q&A about it and kind of answered every question about, you know, the nitty gritty, like how much it costs, costed us to have her. Is that how you say costed? No, that's a very wrong. How much it cost <laughs> us to have her and, um, you know, where she slept and what the dynamic was like with her. I answered all those questions um, and why we chose to use a baby nurse versus our own parents as, you know, Milo's grandparents watching him. So I, I shared all that, but same thing for the nanny. Like we now have decided to hire this help while I, while we both go back to work. And I genuinely feel like having the support, it's just, it's life changing support. Like, and, and even if it, was family. It's just having someone other than you and or your partner to look after the baby. It's, I just think it's essential. And and people keep sending me like, it takes a village. Like we used to raise babies in villages and it's just keeps reminding me, like it really does take a village. I don't know how people just, you know, don't accept help or don't ask for help. And, you know, for the people that live in places where they don't have any family or friends nearby, like I genuinely feel for them because the experience of doing this alone with either just yourself or you and just a partner, it's like near impossible to maintain your own mental and physical health while you're in this stage because it's so all consuming and like heavy and intense, especially like the emotions postpartum. But to answer your question about being back at work, it it feels I was really excited to get back into work. And I honestly, even, even like a week after Milo was born, I was hopping on my computer every couple of days and checking my email. And I was still just like funneling stuff over to my talent agents and setting up stuff for when I got back. Because honestly, in that time, being on my computer and answering work-related emails made me feel just like so much calmer and more normal because everything else in my life was so abnormal and different that like at least this one thing hadn't changed like I still have my email inbox (laughs) and I, I still have my team in Los Angeles that's like talking to brands for me and it almost felt like there was this thread of Lucy who like I used to be that was still there and I actually really liked diving back into that. And then of course it was nice to not have to, you know, do any sponsored content throughout the three month period. But as you know, from following me, I definitely shared loads of content during my maternity leave because I was feeling just an abundance of inspiration and, you know, so many new topics to talk about and so many new things that I wanted to share that I, I was not really offline at all. Yeah, it makes sense how like there is this one consistent thread that maybe felt like it grounded you and it um, provided some sort of 
you know, an opportunity to remind yourself of like the Lucy that existed pre-pregnancy and now post-pregnancy getting back into that must feel so nice. And speaking of work, one final topic I wanted to touch on before we wrap up the interview is following things that you're passionate about and navigating career transitions and taking risks. And so I know that you started out, you know, at Refinery29 making these series and then eventually you decided to go off on your own and start your own company and be, you know, your own content creator as Lucy Fink. And so that's something that I personally really admire. I think it takes a lot of courage and bravery uh, to do something like that. And so I was I wanted to ask, you know, how did you navigate any challenges with taking a really big risk like that? And how did you kind of fight through maybe experiencing feelings of imposter syndrome or self-doubt to get to where you are today? I think it was more of an emotional risk than you know, I don't know if emotional is the word, but it was more I felt like I was more so risking losing like this audience I had built because I knew that people were people were so into the series that I was doing at Refinery that they didn't want them to end and so me leaving everyone was kind of like no when's the next Try Living with Lucy coming out and I I got that question I actually still get that question today like when's your next five-day challenge coming out and I haven't worked at Refinery29 in four years so I think just the nature of the internet people still see the content and think it was produced like this year and then they want more. And so there was the scariest part for me was leaving this gig that was definitely a very positive experience for me. And the fact that I had the whole power of this media empire of Refinery29 behind me that was promoting my content and pushing it out every single time I had a new video, it was up on Snapchat for millions of people and blasted across Refinery29's global platforms. It was playing in airports and in taxis and Refinery29 just like had the ability to get it everywhere. And I kind of knew that once I was leaving that, I was leaving that support system and anything I produced, like I was responsible for pushing out. I didn't have this huge platform that already had millions of eyeballs on it. So that was kind of the scariest, the emotional leap of it. But I will say that financially, I never felt like it was a financial risk because the way that I transitioned out was, it was very intentional in terms of making sure that I was financially set on my own before I quote pulled the plug. (laughs) So I basically throughout my whole time at Refinery29, you know, even from before I started working there, I was always working with brands on my own through Instagram and creating content for brands. In the beginning, before I got to Refinery, it was mostly stop motion content that I was selling to brands. And then after I started sharing more of my face and my life, it was more influencer content that was, you know, always kind of happening in the background on my Instagram. And then at the point at which I left Refinery29, I was already signed with a talent agent and the way I transitioned out of Refinery, I don't know if a lot of people know that like my last year with them, which was 2019, was a year when I was kind of like in a hybrid role with them. So I 
was no longer a full-time employee in 2019, but I had a contract with them. They, they essentially were my first client when I went off on my own. So I left to go sign with the agency and my agency negotiated a deal with Refinery29 as my first, through my first year. And I was responsible for making 16 videos for them in 2019. So four videos every quarter. And that was like way lower than what I had been doing because I had been doing a video every week for them for the past, like 52 videos a year minimum. So 16 felt like a smaller amount that I could juggle while I was doing my own projects. And I basically like started off that year, 2019, with a contract from Refinery29 as like my first client. And then whatever else came was just like icing on the cake for the year. And so, and then it ended up being, you know, way more than the contract for Refinery29. Like everything else was added up to being way more that by 2020, I didn't even have to do another deal with them. And also by 2020, (laughs) coronavirus came and Refinery was sold to Vice and everything just kind of ended slowly. But it was definitely like, I didn't feel like I was financially diving off the deep end. I felt very secure in the financial side of things. It was more so me being like, is this a good decision? Are people going to still follow me? You know, are people going to be upset? That kind of thing. Right. I mean, it also felt like that it seems like there is the synergy of you transitioning out, but then also still being involved with refinery, but from now a different capacity and as like a different uh, figure because you are off on your own. So I think that was, that worked out really well for you. And it kind of, it, it makes a lot of sense how that transition occurred. And I think, you know, it's amazing that it didn't have to be as big of a financial risk as maybe it could have been. And, you know, like, I know in in previous conversations that we've had, you've made the comment on, you know, the advice that is around making sure that you can like support yourself if you do decide to go off and do something on your own and not necessarily like leaving your full-time job until you believe you like actually can. Um, And so I think that's also really great advice, but it's interesting how it was more of this like emotional risk of not knowing if you're making the right decision. Because I think, you know, we we hear about trusting our intuition, trusting our gut. And of course, it's so much easier said than done. And it's like, well, how do we actually bring that into practice? How do we actually follow our intuition and make intentional choices and be very deliberate about what we decide to do in our lives? And I think like that's really interesting because it's it's hard to feel like you're on the right path, especially in your 20s, you're young, mid in your early mid 20s, like there's so many things that are kind of coming at you at that time. It can feel very overwhelming and hard to know like I'm carving out the right path for myself. Definitely. I, I still stick by that. You know, I know tons of creators who, especially now with TikTok, the amount of people that just blow up and start getting brand offers and deals, and they still have a nine to five job doing something else. And I just always encourage them to keep that other job and keep doing this fun side hustle on the side until you know with certainty that leaving is going to allow you to make the same amount, if not more than you're making at your job. And like, you know, only obviously only leave your nine to five if you don't like it. But if you do enjoy what you're doing, you can also keep your job and just keep the content as a 
you know, fun side hustle. It doesn't need to become a full-time job. Exactly. Well, Lucy, you've given such great advice throughout this interview. And I know we've talked a lot about what you've learned from the different wellness trends you've tried with your segment at Refinery29 and how you've incorporated wellness practices in your day-to-day life and now being a mother. But my final question for you today is centered around happiness, endorphins. It's something that I ask every guest that comes onto the podcast. What is something that brings you a bit of endorphins every day? Oh, wow. Oh, gosh. I've got to say it's my morning coffee ritual. And I doubt it's actually giving me endorphins. It's probably just giving me cortisol. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but that's a good point. <laughs> definitely cortisol. I, I just genuinely, when I go to sleep, I'm excited for the next day because of the coffee. And it's like, a, it's such a good part of my morning. If, if it's a sunny day, even better, because then I just can like sa- stand in the sun with the cup of iced coffee. And it's always iced, even in the winter. But just something about that morning cup it really just brings my whole day together to the point where if i have if i have something to do in the morning like a meeting or if i have a call with someone or if i'm you know leaving the house i just will actually adjust my wake up time and adjust everything to make sure that i <laughs> can have a dedicated like 5 to 10 minutes in the kitchen with my coffee because it's just really brings me joy. It's really grounding too, like having that ritual. I used to be a coffee fanatic and then I stopped drinking coffee this summer and I've pivoted to matcha and I love chai lattes too. So I think for me, it's really just about having like that drink and having like that ritual. So I can totally relate. And I think it's also really important to have time for yourself in the morning to kind of feel centered and feel organized mentally and physically so that you can prepare yourself for whatever the day has to bring for you. So I totally can relate and resonate with that feeling around just having something that's constant in your morning routine that you can go to bed and look forward to the next day. Yes. And, you know, let yourself get excited about it. That's honestly one of the main things that helps me get up is knowing that I'm on my way to the kitchen and the coffee is waiting (laughs) in the fridge in the carafe. Exactly. Well, tonight I'll be asleep dreaming about my matcha tomorrow. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Lucy. Where can my listeners find you on social media? You can find me on Instagram and YouTube and TikTok. Those are probably the three biggest platforms. And my handle is Lucy B. Fink. And Lucy is spelled L-U-C-I-E. And then... Also, my website is a good place to connect, lucyfink.com, and it shares, you know, info about – basically, I have all my content there, so it's kind of like a content hub, but it also gives you info about where you can connect with me for different one-on-one services I offer, like coaching and consulting for aspiring content creators and people who want to build YouTube channels and grow on social media. And if you're looking for really cute baby content, definitely go check it out. (laughs) Yeah, I can't believe I didn't say that for the endorphins. Definitely like baby moments are giving me a lot of endorphins because every everything he does is just like so awe-inspiring to watch him do something one day that he couldn't do the day before and just to watch him like discover the world around him. As I said, I never 
I never had babies around me, so I never <laughs> knew like what they go through as they're growing. But it's just so cute. He's like currently in a state of starting to realize that he has hands. So he'll just like stare at his own hand in front of his face, like his hands like two inches from his face and he just stares at his hand. <laughs> and it's it's definitely making making me and Michael laugh every day, little things like that. I'm sure motherhood brings on just like a whole new meaning of happiness and joy. And I love watching fun baby content. And I love seeing Milo pop up on like my TikTok feed. And one of my best friends, Nicole, she is like obsessed with babies and obsessed with looking at babies (laughs) on Instagram, like TikTok, whatever it may be. So shout out to Nicole. And she should also go watch (laughs) Milo's videos. Yeah, shout out Nicole. Go check out Milo content. (laughs) Thank you so much, Lucy. It's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you, Stella. Thank you for listening and remember to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever listening platform you prefer. Don't forget to keep spreading endorphins and find things that bring you endorphins every day. See you next time.